I'm Jakub Voigt, the CEO of Catalytic, and this is Unbundled. In this series, I help to demystify technology in the world of business. Join me as we explore how technology can make your business better. In this episode, we're chatting about user device management. We're talking about the benefits it can bring to business, the ideal hardware and software platforms to use, and how this can increase productivity in your business. By the end of this episode, you'll have a clearer idea of how to implement this in your business. I'm joined by John Kanemeyer from Miller Kanemeyer. John, welcome. I've been looking very forward to uh, to this conversation. Morning, Yaku. Nice to talk to you again. So, to kick off, tell us a bit about your background and what it is that you do for a living. For my sins, I am the managing director of Miller Kanemeyer. I've built this company up from about the mid-2000s. But I've been in the IT industry since the late 80s. I've worked in various industries, banking being the predominant one, and essentially pretty much a technical role. So we worked a lot in technical environments on a Unix perspective, from a mainframe perspective back in the day. And I wound up getting involved in technical disaster recovery for banking specifically. And that I cut my teeth on that at NetBank, mm. and then Standard Bank brought us on board. So. We've worked a lot in the technical field and uh, built up a team of expertise around the integration and stuff around systems within large organizations. Okay, that's that's quite a mouthful. Uh, and I mean, it's like you say, the I think those skills that you built up over the years, if we have a look in the industry now, um, they're few and far between uh, in South Africa specifically. Yeah, what we're finding that um, the population from an IT perspective is aging. So this has a huge ramification in terms of people's fundamental understanding. And what we also find is that from uh, the new entrants into the industry coming on board have very have a very shallow level of understanding of IT, and they tend to be GUI-driven, which makes it a lot more difficult to do problem-solving and issue-finding when problems start occurring. So. Okay. So so that actually then brings us to our topic of today, uh, where we, we're talking about user device management. Maybe uh, you can just give us a view of, of what, what that typically would encompass. Typically, it's around how you manage end-user devices. So people's laptops, people's desktops, people's iPhones, people's um, iPads, those are treated as end-user devices. And that is where the user interacts with an IT system or a service that a company tends to provide. The problem with that is they tend to become personalized, as we all well know. So you wind up with different versions of software. You wind up with different, different um, softwares being installed on people's devices in the same organization. So what device management looks at doing is try to create a common set of software that runs on a common set of devices. And mm. every major manufacturer has device management software. Uh, I, I like that. So we, we're talking about standardization in, yes. in, the, in the business environment. Very much so. And I think the important thing that businesses look to, especially financial organizations, is the security associated with those devices because people take them home. Now, yes. Especially in COVID-19, people are taking them home. So now they're sitting with their devices at home on their home networks. So they're no, no, no longer controlled by a corporate environment, a corporate network, and necessarily a corporate support team either. So, so, so what would you then say is the main benefits of user device management? Predominantly security. Usability, because the other thing is people break stuff. They load stuff they shouldn't potentially load. Systems stop working. Your interaction doesn't work. I mean, just doing internet banking, for example. How often have you found different versions of browsers you can't connect or use your internet banking like you could before? 
Mm. And that's because changes on your local machine are impacting the way you interact with your internet banking service or your web service. So, so John, and I think in a catalytic world, you know, we tend to focus on the, on the small to medium enterprise. You're talking big business. In a small business, if, if I had to interpret what you're saying around user device management, the standardization gives me uh, I almost want to say predictability in an IT environment which where the skills typically sit outside the business. Uh, it's normally external. So th- that predictability and standardization uh, gives me – it always tells me what to expect uh, or what not to expect. Yes. I think certainly from a point of view of standardization is the type of problems you're going to experience should be the same. So whether it happens with one employee or another one, it's the same thing. So it's a lot easier to come to a resolution because you've got a standard set of software and the configurations are standard. So predictability becomes a big thing. Then you know what to expect because you've now tested a new product that's come out on your software. You've deployed it and you you know what to expect in terms of what's going to happen. So when people start picking up issues... The same issue may apply to multiple people in that organization. You can solve it quickly. And the organization may only be 10 people. But guess what? 10 people can have very different device setups if you let them do their own thing. Where yes. if you control it, you now predict what's going to happen on those devices. So, so, and therefore by, by doing that, the uh, assumption then is, is that, um, if you, I uh, almost want to say, uh, lock the device down, if the user can't easily break it and therefore you can have less IT uh, support? That true. Um, the less support around the fact that people have, have to have their software reinstalled because they've done something that they shouldn't have done. Or alternatively, there's software which you don't want on there, which is wound up on there for some reason. And it's trying to avoid those sort of situations because those that's when security breaches become a big thing. Yeah, and I, I think sort of back to your earlier statement about uh, the age pool uh, in general in the in the work environment. I think the the other side of the coin is is the, the younger entrance into the workforce. They they know a lot of tricks that typically in a corporate environment you won't necessarily expect. It's like you say you end up with software that um, you didn't think was going to be there. Yes, absolutely, and I mean. Everyone knows it. I mean, you bypass things like um, streaming services by going onto torrent sites. Now, by doing that, you're creating a massive backdoor for people. So as soon as you allow that, your machine becomes completely compromised, and it's likely that somebody might start tracking what you're doing on your machine and actually do something about it. So that's where the whole thing of a lockdown machine in terms of a a corporate configuration on that machine, even if your corporate is a five-man business, becomes very sensible because then you know that you're unlikely to be attacked from a front end or a desktop perspective. And and to me, it's actually a question I wanted to come to come to later. But I almost get a, a perception sometimes or the idea that um, because a, a business is smaller, people are. are Almost have the mindset to say, well, who's going to hack us? Why must we worry about this? It's the, it's the big banks or the insurance companies that should worry about it. You, uh, the funny thing is, if you look at the anatomy of the big hacks that have happened, it's surprising how often it's occurred because of a small company. The negligence of a small company, which impacts on a big company because they happen to use a small company services. And it's the uh. thing that often we get asked, especially from the banks, because we don't deal with one bank, we deal with multiple banks, is how good is your security in terms of our data that sits on your devices? 
And it becomes a big question about is what have you done to lock that down, to show that there's a level of corporate integrity in your data, that you have encrypted things or made sure that you've got second-level authentication on passwords. Those sorts of things are expected in a corporate because they sit with massive risk. Small guys don't see that as risk, you're right. And and because they don't see it as a risk, it only when it happens that they suddenly uh, go, ooh, that was a problem. Uh, yeah, I think that that was the thing I just wanted to say now is, is until it happens, then you realize how important it is, but uh, often it's too late. Yeah. And then, and then from a skin in a game perspective, uh, it's typically the owner of the business or the, or the MD of the business that actually sits with the, the exposure. Absolutely. I mean, and, I, and I've looked at some of the big issues that have happened in some of the large organizations. They've been caused by third parties. I mean, the same thing happens in the cloud. If you look at some of the cloud outages, they've been caused by third parties who haven't stuck to the rules, have had their own servers breached, and then suddenly people's data is all over the Internet. Um, John, so some key stats that I read um, this morning in, in preparation for the show, um, they say across the world – a laptop is stolen every 53 seconds. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure South Africa uh, makes, a, makes a big number of that. They say about 70 million smartphones are lost every year. It's a, it's a, that was just a staggering number for me. And, it, and this to me was interesting. Um, is, is that a, a data breach comprises 80% of the cost of a lost or stolen laptop. So... Um, Again, from a from a, a device management perspective, uh, you mentioned the security component earlier. Yes, um, and and I think it's it's while the device is within my position and and when I've lost it, is a benefit to that in as well. Absolutely, there's two issues here. One is obviously the loss of the data that's on the device. The second part is the loss of the device and the potential it has to cause harm. So you need to have a you need to have some facility to make that device unusable unless the actual Authorized owner is in possession of that device. So what do you do about them? Now, there aren't that many sophisticated technologies around to deal with that, but they do exist. So a lot of people don't realize, I mean, I don't know how often you've lost a phone, be it by negligence or somebody's taken it off you. Now, what do you do when that phone's gone? You go to the Vodacom store or the MTM store and you replace your phone. That's typically what happens. Hopefully you're insured, which means you don't have to buy a new one. Now, how do you get your data back on that device? Where do you get all your contacts from? Did you back them up? Did you have them saved anywhere? Those become huge frustrations. But on top of that, you're also sitting there worrying in the back of your mind is, did they manage to hack into my device, the one they got, they got hold of? Mm. And now do they have access to all my information? Because we all know that it's a lot more sophisticated on the net in terms of targeted spear phishing and people being hacked deliberately for themselves. So they might have taken that device off you deliberately. So, so uh, as again, as a small business owner, um, I might have the perception to say, "Oh, but uh, you, you know, I've got a." When I log on to my PC, there is a password there. Surely, surely that's enough. Is it, how easy is, is it to get into a device? <laughs> I think it depends on the technology you're running and the P- and the software you're running on the PC. So, for certain technologies, yes, it's very difficult. For others, it's not so difficult at all. And if the people are sophisticated now, they know how to hack. There's hacker training courses online you can go on. So the reality is a lot of systems are easily exposed to being hacked. A lot of the Android systems can be hacked easily. Windows is not that secure. It never has been. And the reason for that is, I suppose, is this whole philosophy of minimal viable product, get the thing out as quickly as possible. The people out there will find the bugs and then we'll fix them. The problem with that is the bugs that they're finding help find backdoors. 
Mm. And that's where okay. the problem creeps in now because now the people out there know about the back doors. They know you're running a Windows 10 machine, for example. What are they going to do? They know exactly what they can do. They also check to see what updates you have. So are you running oh. the latest versions of software? Have you upgraded all the security patches? You may not have. So, 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 so I think it's a it's a big misnomer to think. Well, uh, if my laptop gets stolen out of my car's boot, they or, don't know my password. Yeah, and it's I, I just have to get a new one, and and I don't have to worry about it. it it's yeah. actually a big worry. Yes. Um. So from a if if it's so apparent the benefits, what is the what what do, why don't more companies have it? What's the alternative to them? What does their landscape look like? I suppose they work on what's the risk so they don't – a lot of people just say, well, I don't want to pay 100000 rand a month for insurance. I'd rather just take the risk and lose it, and if I have to pay, then I pay. And I think that philosophy lends itself down to IT technology, and they don't realize how damaging it can be. Instead of them saying, guys, let's have a standard minimum requirement in terms of um, configuration, which allows for security control, they rather say, you know what, I've, my, my AVG is up to date or my whatever you happen to be using, Kubernetes or, sorry, Kaspersky software is working. But how often do you remember to update it? And every year you get a new subscription notice and you've got to upgrade or pay your 100 rand or 1,000 rand or whatever the number is. And people start getting tired of it. So they, don't, they don't follow through. The but is it, isn't that the IT guy's job? If you're in a corporate, yes. <laughs> In the small business, the CEO often is the IT guy because it's a one-man business. Or it's He's outsourced. There's always outsourced. It. Yeah, exactly. Or he rents the the machine and, and he thinks, well, they can take care of the problem. But the reality is, unless you worry about it and you have control over it and you understand it, there's no way there's a guarantee. And and that to me is the thing that we get back to time and time again is that. As a business owner or as a director of a business, uh, uh, like you say, even if it's a five-man business, you have to even even if it's uncomfortable and you feel that you're non-technical, you have to get involved and understand what the risk is and and what measures have been taken to to prevent uh, bad stuff from happening. Absolutely. So so in your line of work, can, um, do you have an example of something bad that happened to <laughs> somebody that you know of? We have had certain instances where people have been locked out with, um, and I won't mention names because it's obviously embarrassing to the companies, but I mean large organizations and well-known organizations where they've had um, ransomware attacks, which has shut down half their business. And the general public was even informed at one stage that this had happened. And it's incredibly embarrassing because it was unnecessary. The reality is they just hadn't followed through with the standard protocol and they hadn't stuck to the rules. And they got caught very quickly. And, I mean, it carries on happening. I mean, the amount of hacking attacks that happen daily, specifically in South Africa, because South Africa is known for being hacking mecca. Everyone comes to hack in South Africa because the rules are quite relaxed in terms of how things are operated. And the financial industry is easy to get into. And that's the dangerous part. But again, I, I have to come back to this. So when we when we talk about hacking, it sounds like this uh, uh, sort of uh, master brain type uh, organization and, and they only go after the big corporates. Why do people hack? Well, I suppose it's for them it's a job. That's the reality. I mean, it's a job. The fact that they, the fact that they may do shotgun fishing where they, they send out a spurious email to tens of thousands of people. How many times have you had a grandmother approach you and say, should I click on this link when they're on an email? And you've got to say to them, guys, understand what you're doing. 
you're inviting someone into the house you haven't met. Do you understand the principle of that? And and I think the the easy way to look at ransomware is is it's exactly what it says. So there's no business too big or too small that would absolve you from that because um, in order to access your data, you have to pay them. Yes. And and they make money from it. And the only way you're going to get past that is by rebuilding that server, if you can. You may not have backed it up, in which case you could be sitting with a major problem. So I, I recently actually saw an insert on, on um, a famous Sunday evening uh, magazine show where they, they showed a business, and I think they got um, a ransomware three times within a, within a week, just, just as they restored, and they ended up paying uh, bit, some bitcoins or something yes. like that. Uh, and and the point of it is everybody says to you, but the minute you pay, they're going to keep on coming back. So prevention, I, I think, is definitely better than cure. Absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, let's let's get a bit more controversial. We've now, we've now already said that uh, don't trust your IT guy, make sure. Um, and I think the next thing I want to say, so... You, you mentioned that we were speaking in general now from a user, devi- a user device management perspective. Um, do the hardware and software platforms that people uh, use, does it make a difference? Yes. It makes a significant difference. <coughs> I have been, I've been working on various desktop software and laptop softwares over the years. And initially, I was very much a uh, Microsoft guy because most corporates ran Microsoft. I was working in a corporate. It's easy to use. People used to game on it. Well, they still do. I mean, the point behind it is um, what we found is that the software tends to be less stable as time goes by because now everyone's trying to get the new product out, get the new versions out, and it becomes problematic over time. Eventually, about six years ago, I switched to Mac. And what I found is for my technical background, it's a lot more secure because it's a lot more controlled and it's a single type of holistic environment. There's less of the third-party software issues that Microsoft tends to suffer with. And what I also found out is you cannot install anything on a Mac without putting in the admin password on that machine before the software installs. Windows has the ability to install things without you being aware of it. So a lot of the time you have no idea what's going on in the background. How many people actually know what processes are running in the background of their Windows laptop? Most people don't know. On a Mac, it's very clear. You can see very quickly what it is, and you can shut it down if it's not supposed to be there. But the big advantage is the fact is that a Mac's software and data on it is encrypted. So if you haven't logged into the machine, not even the FBI can get into it. And this is something which is a big case in the States where they found somebody had done something bad and they wanted to get onto their computer. It happened to be a Mac. And Apple refused to release the code to unlock that machine to the FBI because they said it violates their operating principle around how they manage technology and how they ensure security for their customers. Uh, so, so to me, that almost then comes back to, uh, as a company, you have to have a, a strategy that that starts from the hardware that you use to how you're going to secure the data and how you're going to control those devices, and and if you can string all of that together, then um, you you should actually not have problems. Correct. The other advantage, I mean, it's starting to change a little now, but the other advantage about Mac is they don't tend to change the operating system and do upgrades as often as Windows does. So you don't constantly sit with this perennial thing of you need to update your device, you need to update your application. I mean, how irritating is it on your cell phone when you check every morning? There's four new updates in the app space. Why? Because Uber's made changes or WhatsApp's made changes or whatever software you happen to be using on your phone has changed. And you've got to keep updating it to stay current. 
the problem, the advantage with Mac was that doesn't happen that often. So, so coming back to the user device uh, management component of what we're talking about now, the the principle behind it is is because we standardizing and securing the the de- device and the software or the applications that run on it and the information that sits on it, we should have less incidents and therefore it becomes actually uh, a, a more Productive way of operating your your IT environment. Yes, they actually did some statistics. I think IBM, because IBM pushed this whole issue of going to Mac, and they were doing statistics about support calls on technology. And they looked at their standard Windows um, offering, and they looked at their Mac offering. And what they realized is, as a percentage, I think somewhere in the region of eighty four percent of calls for Mac was about configuring your IP address, your email, or doing printer setups. Windows, it was a myriad of things. There was no rule around it. It was So that gives you an indication of how stable the platform is and how unchanging it is to a large degree. And, and, and John, the other thing I wanted to just sort of bring into this conversation now, I think historically uh, you're talking about the, the aging pool in the workforce. Uh, I think historically people believe that um, as, long as, I, as, as long as I'm running antivirus on my Windows machine, that should be enough. You were speaking about processes that uh, was, could be running in the background. Yes. Um, do you know what does it, what what's the average time that it takes to to uh, discover a ransomware bug, if I can call it that, in your IT environment? I have. I can't actually quote figures, to be honest with you. But, but in some instances, I mean, if you look at the tracking software now and what's happening in terms of browser, I mean. I look at what happens on Safari on, on, on Mac, for example. Safari tracks to see who's looking at you and trying to track you, and they will tell you how often you get hit. I checked yesterday. I had something like 27 attempts to track what I was doing on the Internet in the space of seven days, just to give you an idea. So it's quick, and the guys are in there as quickly as possible, and you don't know. Unless something suddenly happens, you don't know whether somebody's on your machine or not. And I think that, um, as a last uh, thought on that, I think uh, a lot of a lot of the hacking attempts happens with with positive intervention from the user that's operating the machine. Uh, there's some sites that if you access it, uh, it won't let you do anything unless you accept that that they can collect cookies or absolutely. And even though th- th- legally you're supposed to not have to accept the cookies and still operate on the site how often do you see that working on the site or the little x is so small that you can't find it to bypass the check with cookies so people by default just press accept all cookies and you think it's it's uh, legit and meanwhile it's, it's, it's actually not yeah okay so and then the last thing for me around uh, user device management which is one of the things that we've spoken about also is um Reporting uh, about user behavior and and uh, let's call it productivity. So that's a key driver for us in our catalytic world. Um, in this Apple device management world, what type of reporting can we can we provide to a business owner? Quite sophisticated. You can report on um, sites which shouldn't be gone into. You can report on user activity. In other words, how busy is somebody? So if it's important that you're seeing keystroke activity on a laptop because somebody has to work 9 to 5 and they're supposed to be busy not watering the garden or doing something else because everyone is working from home, you need to get a sense of whether they're being active or not. The other thing is you also want to report on have they done the latest upgrades? Have they done the recommended upgrades? Are they far behind? Because maybe they've forgotten to click yes when it says your upgrade's due. 
and now they're running one version behind everyone else. So you can report on all those activities and say to them, well, the other advantage is you don't actually have to do anything because you can do zero touch, which means you can force the upgrade on that machine without having to even be there. So from a from a business owner perspective, I sh- I can have peace of mind by Absolutely. getting a report once a week, once a month, once a quarter uh, that shows me and say that all of the things that I'm expecting to happen is actually happening, and and uh, and I can sleep a little bit sounder at night. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's important to bear in mind that, I mean, if you need to do things like regular backups or make sure that data is being saved somewhere, that that's also being done. So there may be lots of house or admin work that needs to be done on that particular laptop that is not being done. You can either automate it using your device manager because you can just run scripts against that device or you can say to the guys, you need to make sure you do it because from a reporting point of view, you're not sticking to the rules and doing the updates you're supposed to be doing. And and for me, I think with uh, this supposed new way of working, um, the these type of things are just so much more pertinent for every business to get involved in and make sure that they tick all of the relevant boxes. Well, <coughs> sorry. In terms of that, I mean, it's hugely important. You can put yourself out of business within 10 seconds, literally. And I don't think people realize how important their devices have become to them. And whether you're running off a, a, an iPhone or a, a laptop makes no difference. How many people do you see who are street traders who run off an iPhone? And they're yeah. using like a device that you can use a debit or a credit card. These things are now in existence and they run businesses. People's lives depend on this from a from a financial point of view. And and for me as a as a closing thought on that, um I would say uh if you if you are a business owner or or director or manager and you have you, you utilize IT resources, uh, the question I guess would be is uh in this last 6 months year how many times have they come to speak to you about any of this to put your mind at ease? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, from our perspective, is I just look at everybody I've spoken to says we need to do something about this. But they don't seem to be getting to do something about it. And if I look at the cost, the costs are negligible. I mean, when we looked at the costs in terms of how this thing would be managed, you talk about the costs of a, a Netflix subscription a month. Now, for a business user, that's peanuts. But I don't see people taking this on and taking it on board and understanding just how important this whole thing is from a risk point of view. Yeah, it, it comes back to me as uh, people are clearly going to wait for something to happen bad and in. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, John. I really enjoyed that. Thanks, Yaku. Thanks for listening to Unbundled, brought to you by Catalytic, a series that aims to demystify technology so that you can make smarter decisions for your business. Remember, you can listen to all the episodes on the Cliff Central app or website. And for added convenience, you can subscribe to uh, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. If you are looking for help with your communications tools in your business, please make sure to visit catalytic.co.za. Cliffcentral.com